0: Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. This week's episode is entitled Victory Gin and Wrath to the Face as we cover 1984 by George Orwell. Amanda, what are we drinking? Uh, Today we have
1: consumed a single shot of Victory Gin, a single Victory cigarette which is filmed off camera because I have the asthma, a piece of chocolate saved for a special occasion because of rations, and uh, also enjoying the fine, fine, sweet Texas institutional drink of Tito's Vodka and Sprite, because we are both stressed out. Because we are very
0: stressed out.
1: We've also been eating cheese for 20 minutes off mic.
0: Yes, because we didn't think you wanted to hear us eat cheese, so occasionally we're going to lean across and... And eat, eat cheese.
1: cheese. And now, but if that <coughs> is something that you would like to hear, I'm sure we can set up a live feed.
0: This is this going to be like one of those videos online where people like eat cheese? A mukbang? Okay. Yes. I don't know what the term is. <laughs> Yes, now I know. If that is a
1: a special feature that you all want, uh, we're also open to doing ASMR.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have a whole series of ASMR videos. To be fair, though, an entire library group did that for Hulu for, like, Christmas, and then every time you watched it, you you helped donate to them. Anyway, that's neither here nor there.
1: This is going to be a lot like Watership Down, where we find ways to talk about everything but what we're talking about, Because... because we don't want to talk about it.
0: Yeah, 1984 really isn't a book you read, it's really a book you survive. It's
1: a book that you are forced to read, which I feel like is what Orwell would want. I don't think I don't think I know anyone who read 1984 of their own volition. And if they did, I'm concerned about them.
0: So I kind of read it of my own volition.
1: I'm concerned about
0: you. (laughs) (laughs) Because we read Animal Farm with a side of... Yeah. We did Animal Farm, and then my teacher went, if you want to read more by Orwell, read 1984. And every other honors English class was reading it. So I went, huh, I don't feel like my teacher really did this a solid. I'm going to read this over Christmas break. And then ended up huddling under blankets in my dad's upstairs bedroom. See, I also... Uh, was blessed enough to
1: read neither, so I also read this of my own volition. Uh, so we're both
0: uh, gluttons for punishment, which I'm sure the party would not like. I think now, now I have concerns for both of our lives. That is crime think. That is crime think. So 1984 was published in 1949. <coughs> world War Two had ended shortly before that, so about four years before. Yes. People were still super raw after two world wars, yes. and then just. Uh, hell of a lot of multiple civil wars
1: absolutely this was a very very um s- strange doesn't feel appropriate but does feel appropriate uh time in world history and in the world theater because i don't think that we can fully understand what it means to survive a world war i mean as americans in our collective consciousness we have the uh war in iraq and the war in afghanistan but that still is not quite a world war
0: and for most of our childhoods and adult life, I mean, we've just been perpetually at war. So This is true. Which These is the youngins. Kind of ties it into 1984, too, because everybody's constantly at war. Yes. Yes. So this is one of those books that it's not about what happens, it's about why it happens. So the short plot is probably not going to help you very much in class. But here's the short plot. Winston Smith is a low-level member of the party who helps rewrite information for Ingsoc, also known as English Socialism, in the Ministry of Truth. We see the world of Oceania through his eyes. That's his country slash region slash the world is divided into three spaces at this point. Yes. He buys a journal and starts to write his thoughts about the party, which is major thought crime. He notices a dark-haired girl has been following him around. He gets weirded out thinking she's going to sell him out. He and she end up communicating, and we find out she is Julia, and she's way into him. And they end up running a room above where Winston secretly bought his journal, and where he keeps his thoughts about the party. He's not allowed to express them without punishment. Winston and Julia start meeting regularly and completing small acts against the party, which is just really sex and stealing food from higher-level members of the party. Yeah,
1: it does feel like um, if you've ever been to summer camp, the small crimes that you get to commit, that feel like massive acts of rebellion. Yes.
0: They end up getting invited to join this super secret inner circle, or what it feels like, by his co-worker O'Brien. And they have to read this guide about what the party does and to bring them down. So Julia and Winston meet up to have sex and read this book. And they get caught by the party and mm-hmm. are separated to be mentally and physically tortured. Yes. After O'Brien realizes that Winston can't be broken from loving Julia, he puts rats around Winston's face. That's his greatest fear. He's released, broken even to the point of not being able to love. He ends up bumping into Julia, and they feel nothing for each other. Yeah. Yeah. um, I'm I'm just going to drink some alcohol right now. This book
1: is just such a downer, and I don't mean to sound, you know, like I'm
0: being condescending to it, but heaven help us. Seriously. So there are very few novels that we read that, make me kind of feel like I'm going to go off the deep end, and that's 1984 and The Handmaid's Tale. And that's basically it. See, and I I, I left
1: a note in there that my two are Watchmen and V for Vendetta, which, I mean, comic book nerd, so I chose the comic book versions of
0: 1984.
1: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think there is something that's universal, but also very distinct to individual time periods about this book that really make you question everything.
0: Mm-hmm. That. So there's some important terms to help get us started because these get bandied about on the internet fairly often and not usually used correctly.
1: Almost uh, 95% of the time used incorrectly.
0: So totalitarianism is a system of government that is centralized and dic- dictatorial. Ooh. Good as a T re- word And requires complete subservience to the state. So basically, you have one figure who's telling you what to do mm-hmm. all the time, and you're subservient to the state. You don't yes. have any options otherwise.
1: Good example of totalitarianism would be North
0: Korea. There you go. You're welcome. Communism is a political theory derived from Karl Marx, derived from, not straight Marxism. Advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs.
1: Uh, Lenin had a lot of good ideas about this in Russia that were executed terribly and then led to the death of a lot
0: of people because of Stalin. And led to a lot of totalitarianism. Yes. Fascism, which you'll see with Franco, is a form of radical authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition and strong regimentation of society and of the economy which came to prominence in early 20th century europe so you're mussolini you're hitler you're uh spain in the 30s spain in the 30s quote archer (laughs) you and your archer references oh constant they just have constant literature references Ah, fine Socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Not communism.
1: No, and actually not bad and or scary. Look at how great Scandinavia is doing
0: right now. Then we have the branch that gets confused with straight socialism a fair bit, democratic socialism. Yes. It's a political philosophy that advocates political democracy alongside social ownerships of the means of production with an emphasis on self management and democratic management of economic institutions within a market or some form of decentralized planned socialist economy. Basically, human beings have democracy. You have the right to vote on what's happening, but you also have security systems like social security and universal health care. Right, which is
1: going to be a hot take, but what America has had since the depression right uh despite the screeching of many uh, political figures right now
0: mm-hmm. and i mean screeching literally there, there's been a lot of screeching it's kind of like vultures like i guess i don't know do vultures actually screech uh they actually don't that's a common misconception see and this is why i ask we're trying to keep you from having misconceptions right grapple screech Grackle screech a lot, and right now they are all over San Antonio. When have- when are they ever not? What grackle season have you been through? Well, they're just, like, everywhere right now. They- and they choose different areas to hang out in, so they're, like, at the H-E-B parking lot, and then they're all of a sudden over in, like, the McDonald's parking lot.
1: I just want to know what part of San Antonio you've been to that, for whatever reason, was
0: bereft of grackle. The ones where people chase them away? <laughs> okay, fair. Or there's no snacks. True. But there are snacks here. Yes. So there's going to be some chief parts of the party's influence that we just want to bring up that your teachers are probably going to ask you about, or your friends, or your family, or anybody who asks you about 1984. What family is
1: quizzing you on 1984?
0: If your parents are literature professors,
1: which mine are not. Mine weren't. I have serious questions. If your family is quizzing you on 1984 unprovoked, please let us know in the comments.
0: Please do please send us an email so we can get you help.
1: Yeah, I, w- I will personally bake you a cake and send it to you.
0: So one of the main parts of the party's influence is minutes of hate. So they choose a particular figure to hate. A lot of times it's the figure of Goldstein. Mm-hmm. And they show their enemies as less than human, rouse hatred, and it's oddly familiar to maybe a panel discussion on Fox. I
1: was about to say, this Uh, this seems a little uh on the nose right yeah. now.
0: One of the interesting things, too, is they also have the Anti Sex League, which prevents traditional emotions and physical outlets. So we see a buildup of super violent imagery against women when Winston is considering his initial feelings for Julia and he sees that red ribbon around her waist that indicates that she's a member of the Anti Sex League. This leads to unmet needs for all sexes, which allows for even more fervent participation in the minutes of hate. So, you don't have any place to put your anger. So we're going to give you two minutes a day where you can scream at the face of somebody on camera. Have fun with that.
1: There was an excellent uh, video essay done by Lindsay Ellis um, about the ideology of the uh, First Order in Star Wars, and she talks about fascism and she talks about the ur fascist and that we're fascist because they, um, sex is bad, but women are subservient, um, will turn weapons into the palace, and play with weapons. And that is all that is screaming in my head is Kylo Ren with his weird phallic saber just being angry at a computer. Ah,
0: because <laughs> we're just gonna do that a lot, I think. I feel was. like that's
1: gonna be seventy-five percent of this episode is breaking away from microphone to eat cheese
0: and then pain screeching. Also, maybe some open weeping. Potentially, I hope we don't get there. I hope we don't get there either. So we also have the slogans of the party. Yes, freedom is slavery. Yes. War is peace. Yes. Ignorance is strength. Mm Mm-hmm. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the future controls the past. You may have heard from Rage Against the Machine Or from any X-Men comic. Any X-Men comic. (laughs)
1: Or or any time Magneto has ever spoken. Also, the party will change history
0: to fit their views. Yes. This is actually kind of true of really any major power as well. Uh, history is written by those who win. So, I have Some folks I talked to in Europe, evidently Germany doesn't talk very much about World War II. No, and I've been to Germany, and I can vouch for that. The U.S. doesn't talk about our genocide of Native Americans. Nor do we talk about internment. Or about internment, and we actually knew some people who were interned, which is really scary when you think about, you know, all the calls to try and intern Middle Eastern folks after. We also don't talk about slavery. We do not talk about slavery, like at all, unless you're talking about oh, this is a southern plantation. Yeah. And then it's, like, all romanticized. And yep. it's like, no, but they were happy. I
1: was about to say, unless it gets real, like, Uncle Tom's Cabin, where it's, like, the, the myth of the happy Negro, uh, we don't talk, realistically, history does not talk about bad things. Like, I don't want to put this on um, just America or just Germany. Uh, history is very bad about talking about bad things. Japan does not talk about World War II. Just kidding. They do a lot, but they don't make it sound like it was bad. Um, it's just a trick of human psychology, I think. It's very, very hard to own up when you did something bad, and especially on such grand scales of bad, because I think we truly can't wrap our heads around how bad the Holocaust was. Oh,
0: no, we cannot. And that's why I think you have so many people who are like, oh, it never happened.
1: Right, because it's too horrific to consider.
0: We, the other night, had to try and explain the Holocaust to our nine-year-old um and that was that was rough um we didn't go into full detail um she's very smart and she's gonna find a lot of it out on her own um but we were trying to do the initial hey have you talked about this in school and it actually started because we were watching an episode of boy meets world and they had a whole part about Anne Frank and we're like oh okay do you know who Anne Frank is and she said no and we said do you know what the holocaust is and she said no and so we try to break it down like a little a bit. Moment. as a teaching moment? Yeah, as a teaching moment, which is really, really hard, to. because my husband does have, you know, his, his family is Native American, like, a few generations back. We're not talking about, like, he's 116th Cherokee. Yeah, everyone, or, like,
1: everyone's a Cherokee princess.
0: Like, his, his family is a few generations back. And so we do talk about things like the genocide of the Native Americans and, you know, pushing people off their land and stuff like that. And... Yeah, it's not something we ever talked about in school.
1: No, and I think it's so also inextricably linked to national pride. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, I mean, especially as Americans, we're used to being the hero, we right? the police. It's hard to imagine the police then being brutal. And Trail of Tears stuff comes to mind, and Japanese and German internment comes to mind. It's hard to imagine the good guy
0: of the world acting not so good. 1984 shows Winston rewriting a lot of the history, like, straight up. When something has been rationed, he, like, has to spin it. When somebody has been erased from history, he has to spin it. At one point in time in the book, he says 1984, if it was 1984, he doesn't actually know what year it really is or how old he really is. Yeah, um,
1: and during Crash Course, which I watched to prepare for this because I hated having to read this book, Uh, John Green mentions that the word instinct is used 32 times in this book, and it does seem like that time is this instinctual thing that keeps moving forward, because you can only move day to day, moment to moment, when the world is that small and that closed and that horrifying, which is what many Americans are doing right now as we live through this hellscape of a
0: shutdown. Mm -hmm. And especially if you live in San Antonio, we have a lot of military, we have a lot of folks who are- Military City, USA? We're on government shutdown watch right now, which is really scary and very frustrating. Yeah. So to get back to the book, so we don't start crying on Mike.
1: Um, there are, are you at the crying stage? I'm at the I'm at the Molotov cocktail
0: phase. I'm at the angry crying stage. Okay, that's yeah. fair. So there are four ministries of Oceana. The first is Mini True, the Ministry of Truth. That's where history is rewritten. So propaganda. That's where Winston works. Mini Pax, Ministry of Peace, a.k.a. where they go to create war plans. Mini Plenty, Ministry of Plenty, rationing and restrictions. Mini Love, the Ministry of Love, the most terrifying of all, where people are tortured and broken to fall back in love with each
1: Mini Love, I was going to say, sounds like my uh, tender profile, but it felt inappropriate to make a
0: <clears> joke. <throat> now, Now I feel like we need to create a special, like... <sighs> profile for winston on tinder if somebody's already would done he this, let use us know. it he wouldn't use tinder who, no. would, who would have taught him to use a smartphone they, I, I don't know well they have those screens on all the time do you think there's just like a little app he could use on his main screen i mean maybe well i mean i guess he did find his friend the prostitute among the por- trolls by just kind of patrolling for it right like normal people meet people There's also DoubleThink and Newspeak, which... We could really have a whole other podcast on. Yes, which we're not going to, because... No. After learning a rabbit language, I don't have time for this.
1: You didn't even have to learn that much rabbit language. I take umbrage. That is fair.
0: So, these terms actually give way to DoubleSpeak, which is never used in the book, but it's coined because of the book. Yes. The language is designed to make ideas more palatable and to transform the way of thinking so that people, you know, are less likely to commit thought crime Mm -hmm. because they don't have words for it. Right. Words are ever changing. So don't think that, you know, a word is going to completely go out all the time. However, terms and phrases do go out. And John Green actually had a really good point on Crash Course where he's talking about what are some of the words that we've never heard yes that could describe other things and you get a lot of this is you jokingly hear people say oh there's a german word for that because there is because there probably
1: is yeah because there is i can guarantee you this Is this a good place to talk about the abc vocabulary sure so there's three different kinds of vocabulary distinctly in new speak there's a vocabulary which are the words that you can't get rid of so um i think the words that they use in the book are like hit crime and run <laughs> you can't get rid of those words apparently you have B vocabulary, which is new speak, and that's your like combined, uh, words like your thought crime and your <laughs> thought crime mostly, uh, crime think things like that. Um, and then you have your C vocabulary, which is uh, highfalutin, professional, and scientific jargon. Which that one is the one that's most insidious to me because the thought is is that if you are not in that profession, you won't understand it. So the words that are used are like phospholipid. If that is not your field you're not going to know what that word means unless you are perpetually locked out of that knowledge. <sighs> uh.
0: So another really key thing that the party does, and this is something that you see in almost every major government, it's the importance of removing the humanity of your enemy. Yes. We see this a lot with refugees. They're treated as criminals. They're flat out called criminals. Bad hombres. Yes. This this is nothing new. This yeah. has been going on forever. Um, it's also when we have attempts at isolationism and nationalism, yes. where suddenly your country is the best country in the world, yes. and we should be by ourselves, and we can't get involved with anything, and this is everywhere. This is not yeah. just the U.S. This is not just the U.K. This is not just Australia. Mm-hmm. This is everywhere. You see this pretty heavily in North Korea. You do, but I really, you honestly see that everywhere because
1: isolationism and nationalism are both responses to colonialism, which we're going to talk about a lot because that's my section and I have a lot of opinions as an African American living in the US. A lot of thoughts about colonialism. Uh, I think you would. I would hope you would. <laughs> I would be concerned if I thought colonialism was great. Last time that happened, it was all gin and tonics. Uh, you get nationalism as a response to your country not mattering. So you see nationalism in Asia exists because of colonial forces and efforts. So we get true nationalism in China, in Japan, in the Koreas, after British influence. We get that in India after British influence. America becomes isolationist because we wish to no longer play nice with Europe after Europe continued to mess around during the 1900s. Uh, these are almost always in a response to a thing. They do not develop independently.
0: Right. And you'll hear a lot of people argue as well that, you know, World War II was pretty heavily dependent on the Treaty of was it Treaty of Versailles, correct? Um, yes. Where, you know, everyone said, okay, we're going to put World War I squarely on the shoulders of Germany. Yeah,
1: Germany, you did a bad thing, go sit in the naughty corner.
0: Also, we're going to control all of your stuff, so have fun with that. Yeah,
1: and then you get a Hitler.
0: And not that I'm saying that that was a good thing to do. And, that, it, you know, it's not necessarily a good response. I'm not on anybody's side here. We're uh, we're occasionally drifting off-camera to eat che- Or not off-camera, off-mic to eat cheese. It helps the pain. It helps the pain. <laughs> that and vodka. Um, so, my section is real-world influences on Orwell. Stalinism, and the Spanish Civil War. A short primer. (laughs) Slash, I can't make anything short to save my life, so I'm sorry. So Orwell fought in the Spanish Civil War. Yes, he did. He was like, I'm going to go out and do this thing. He sets out just before Christmas in 1936, and he stops to have a meal with Henry Miller, who he really admired. Yes. Henry Miller gives him a jacket and tells him he's being an idiot. He says, hey, if you're going out of there, quote, of some sense of obligation or guilt, that is sheer stupidity, and also, end quote, and that the Englishman's ideas about, quote, combating fascism, defending democracy, etc., were all baloney. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> Orwell learned that he was deeply terrified of rats during his time in Spain. He ended up shooting a rat in a trench at one point in time, and the Spanish thought they were under attack, and everybody started firing. Oh, Lord. So, uh, that's... That's a really deep-seated fear there. The unit he volunteered for was totally being watched by Russia at the time, and they were marked for for destruction. They were Mm -hmm. known as POUM, which I'm not going to even try to pronounce the Spanish on that one, which translated to the Workers' Party of Marxist Unification. It was the Spanish Communist Political Party, formed during the Second Republic, and was mainly active around the Spanish Civil War. So they were more in line with Trotsky's way of thinking than Stalin's way of thinking. And you got to remember that Trotsky had fallen out of favor with Stalin's party, and he ended up fleeing to South America where he was killed. Yes. Not with an ice pick, but with, well, it was an ice pick, but not like what you think of at a party where you're breaking up a block of ice. We're talking like a pick.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. Was, it was bad. So, is there a good way to be? No, there's really not, especially when it's somebody who's, like, the boyfriend of somebody you work with. Yeah, that's true. That's Nope, that's a downer. That's a downer. Let's have another drink. <laughs> so, something that I want to clarify is Orwell followed the beliefs of democratic socialism. He was not into communism. He was not part of the main communist branch. You're going to hear that a lot. Yes. Democratic socialism. He ended up seeing posters all over town when he was fighting that were large images marketing the group, P-O-U-M, as the enemy, helped spark his interest in propaganda, which you'll see a lot of in 1984. When things started getting really bad and the Stalinists ended up in charge, Orwell and his fighters, his comrades, had Mm -hmm. to pretend not to know each other. So you'll see a lot of this in 1984, where he and Julia will pretend not to know each other. Mm -hmm. His resentment of the police state shows up all over 1984. He saw state-sponsored murder. He saw a ton of totalitarianistic tactics. And he also saw the repression of individual freedoms. Yes. Yeah. At one point in time, he and his wife decided they were going to go on a quick break because he needed he needed to break. Um, and he was there voluntarily. Oh, so you can take a break from war? You can go on leave. Oh, okay. um, he ended up finding out that while well, he was at the front and they had nothing, they mm-hmm. were struggling just to make things work. The high-ranking officers that were in the city he was in, they all had sidearms, best items. And you'll see a lot of this when Julia tells Winston that she's stolen a lot of the really best stuff that she has from Mm -hmm. officers. A lot of Orville's friends did not get out of the country. He and his wife ended up leaving Spain before they were charged with being spies. They only got out because his wife was laying in bed on top of their passports. And when the cops were tearing up their entire apartment looking for papers, they were still Spanish gentlemen, so they wouldn't turn a woman out of bed in the middle of the night. Oh, how lovely. So that's the only reason they got away with that. And George Orwell also put in his book, Why I Write, quote, I saw history written not as it happened, but as it should have happened along party lines. And this was something he wrote right before, or not right before, but before he wrote 1984. And now I'm going to turn it over to you. British colonialism, but I think first we're gonna take a drink. Yeah, first we need a drink
1: of this fine Texas produced vodka. So, British colonialism. British colonialism uh, was bad. I'm not here to romanticize it. There are a lot of things that do try to romanticize it. It's why I won't read the jungle book. Uh, it's very, very easy to make it sound like these were men who were just going out to find their fortunes and to explore, and to tame the untamed wilderness, and look for new animals, no, no it was not. It was about the degradation, the subjugation, and manipulation of Native peoples to then take resources from Native lands. Technically, it began much sooner than uh, the period of time that we're talking about. Realistically, it began somewhere in the 1600s, uh, with the um, African slave trade being an early 4 into colonialism. But true British colonialism got its start 1700s, really getting into the 1800s, mostly under the behest of Queen Victoria, because she wanted nice things too. Um, it wasn't just England, though, that was playing this game. Uh, a lot of Europe had decided they wanted nice things. Uh, the Germans had some lands that they took over. Um, as did Scandinavia, which is why you get a lot of um, Scandinavian surnames in South Africa. Um, The French had their lands that they took. Spain, Portugal. Spain, Portugal. I'm trying to throw softballs here because I'm trying not to get too angry. Really, all of Europe decided, hey, you know that giant continent underneath us? That's ours now. But the people living there... Irrelevant because anything not pertaining to elephants
0: is irrelevant. Oh my god. You're welcome. I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really... was the most evil
1: laugh. That was super evil. <laughs> I'm really good at it. Um, the British Empire at that time stretched from Africa to India. Good portions of Africa, all of India. Portions of other parts of Asia as well, including um, Hong Kong, which China still won't take back. (laughs) It was all a mess. And the amount of things that they took from these lands is calculated in the easily billions of dollars that could have made these countries richer. We're not going to talk about the lasting effects of colonialism because that could be another podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, We have gin and tonics because of colonialism
0: makes me feel guilty because gin and tonic is like my favorite cocktail
1: right now. It's everyone's favorite cocktail. Uh, We have it because of colonialism because uh, British troops very very quickly learned that malaria was bad and they learned that their uh, drunker superiors uh, didn't seem to catch malaria mostly because of the quinine in the tonic water that they used to make cheap gin taste less cheap. So you can thank British colonialism for your gin and tonic but when you do also thank an enslaved African for it as well. Really, colonialism was so effective because of the way it used manipulation and bureaucracy. The way the British were able to come in, invade a land, make it sound like it was really theirs, force out local government, and then rewrite it to being theirs is what made it so dangerous. And that was where Orwell, where Orwell took a lot of that inspiration for the party, is using bureaucracy as a dangerous sledgehammer against liberty.
0: Kind of like victory, Jen.
1: A rubber mallet to the back of the head, which is why we didn't use the good, sweet, smooth seersucker gin, which we are desperately seeking a sponsorship from. (laughs) I'm not afraid to shill. No,
0: we used Bombay Sapphire.
1: Yeah, I I chug Bombay Sapphire. She did it for you. I did it for you, just by being allergic to it.
0: So there are some themes your teachers are going to ask you for, slash thank you, Spark Notes. Yeah, thank you, Spark Notes. Um... Dangers of totalitarianism. I think we just look at history, um, but I think people tend to forget that as well.
1: Uh, Not just history, but uh, I mean, if if you're afraid of things like North Korea, um, that this is why. Mm
0: -hmm. Psychological manipulation.
1: Also known as, uh, on the internet, gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Which is a term that we like using a lot, but many people don't actually understand what it means. Shall we define gaslighting? Yes. So gaslighting is a term that is used to describe a certain type of psychological abuse and manipulation, and it's a systemic lying or a playing down certain acts. So you see it a lot with abusive partners where it's like, you hit me last night. Oh, well, no, you ran into my fist or you hit a doorknob. That's a form of gaslighting.
0: I believe it comes from a movie called Gaslight. It does. um, Where a husband slowly is turning the lamps down and then telling his wife that she's crazy because she thinks it's getting darker. I could be completely off on that. I
1: I don't but, think that that's what it was, but if it is, um, that is a horribly hilarious image in my mind. It's been a long podcast.
0: It's been a long podcast. I don't even think it's actually we've been recording that long either. We
1: haven't. It just feels like it's been... Oh don't worry, we'll make up some of that time when we talk about surveillance culture. Oh
0: god. Um physical control. So torture, torture is yeah, I don't know why I put physical control and not torture, but here <laughs> we are. As usual, I downplay it and then go, oh wait, sorry.
1: That's why I'm here. I'm I'm here to be in the rubber mallet.
0: Yes. We have uh control of history and information, which we've already gone way in depth on. We have. Um technology, CCTV slash surveillance culture, which we'll go into in a minute. Okay. There are a couple big symbols in this book. Obviously, the eye of Big Brother is going to be the biggest one. Yes. You know, the screen always watching you. Yes. Trying to check to see what you're doing. Yes. Um. It's it's like... There's a long history of fascists using this kind of stuff, or... There's a
1: very, very long history of fascists using... um. Mostly like paternal language when it comes to their fas- fasciosity. Fasciosity. I'm like, is
0: that a word? It's not. <laughs>
1: it's not. We'll add it to new speak. Um, we saw that with Mussolini. Uh, we see. We saw that a little bit with um. It's just, it's just so. It's so common. I think Stalin even used a form of it. it, it uh, of course, it's never matrilineal. It's always patriarchal, because you
0: can never have a female fascist. So, then there's obviously the red journal, which is fancy.
1: I really like that one. That I don't know why that one always spoke to me. That the idea that the nicest thing that he
0: owns is this damn red journal with the fake marble on it. What I think is interesting, too, is that Julia's little band that she wears around her waist for the anti-sex league is also red. Yes. So there's a lot of red, a lot of gray, and a lot of dark navy. and smoke and navy yeah. and dark colors, which is why whenever you try to watch one of the movies with this, it's always extremely dark. Yes. With just small pops of red color. Yeah, it's also a bit of a throwback to uh, guillotine parties. Oh, there you go. Do you know what a guillotine party is? I do, but I don't know that all our listeners do.
1: So guillotine parties used to be thrown during the French Revolution and the height of the terror uh, because the French decided, hey, this is going to be bad, we're going to throw a party. And it was usually um, reserved for people who either had family that were killed by guillotine or were very, very close to being guillotined themselves, and you women would wear their hair short, Um, there would be a lot of exposed necks, and you'd wear a red ribbon around your neck to symbolize what the guillotine would do to you. I would love to throw a guillotine party, but that has to happen after my my party this year, which is a leaving the 20s party.
0: Oh, there we go. So. All right. Just one of the lines that I, I love in this book is, now that he was a dead man, it became important to remain alive as long as possible. Mm-hmm. kind of goes into the key party, too.
1: It does, and also, I think, I love how you've managed to bring in me being death care as many times as possible, because um, embalming is one of the most important things to the current and past fascist. Uh, there is a reason why uh, linen is still being lovingly taken care of, and propped up, and visited, on a regular basis. He cannot die. He must look good. He is perpetually just sleeping, forever watching Russia.
0: Trying to remember there was this amazing book about martyrs and their bodies, and that they would come alive at night and go hang out with each other. And one of them was like selling cosmetics to Lenin. I can't remember what it's called. If I think of it, I'll this put it on the blog. Fiction? It is a work of fiction. I was about to be very concerned. And it was fabulous, and one of my friends recommended it to me, and I'll have to go through my old Goodreads account and figure out what it was oh, called. Oh, goodness
1: gracious. I was like, in what world?
0: The fantasy world that I live in.
1: I mean, same. I was raised Catholic. I could see it. That's why I had to genuinely ask it's this fictional.
0: I feel like we need to just have a segment for you that is small rants from Amanda.
1: Florence or Amanda really could be <laughs> its own side.
0: Uh, all right, guys.
1: I want to talk about using words like dystopia and dystopian. Uh, one of the things about 1984 that I think is so powerful is that every generation has felt this way. Mm-hmm. Every generation since this book was written has felt this way about something. There has always been this encroachment upon liberty upon personal liberty, upon freedom, that everyone is upset about. And the problem with words is if you keep using them, you forget what they mean. Now, we are recording this in 2019, day 28 of a government shutdown that has been caused by a temper tantrum.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we are closer to this reality than I think most Americans can imagine we've been. We're still not there, though. Right. And I think that when you start using this word pejoratively, which many have, we have been calling dystopia since I think Bush was in office, uh, it loses some of its power. So when we're in a situation like we are now, it feels less powerful. It feels less real because it quickly becomes the new normal, the new standard. That's what makes this all so terrifying. So you start to miss out on the actual tangible steps that move us further away from democracy when you've been screaming about dystopia for the last 30 heckin' years, even though you're the one willfully giving up your information, because surveillance culture works two ways. Hi. Hi. Speaking of surveillance culture, um, my day job is I'm a social media manager and the people who tend to complain the loudest about I don't want the government tracking me are the ones that most willfully give up their information.
0: Is this the awkward time where we should plug our social media site? No, I'm just kidding.
1: We'll do that at the end of the podcast, after we've had more vodka. Um, It typically, since it's a very certain kind of individual who is the quickest to say, I don't want the government know where I am. Cool, stop checking in on Facebook.
0: I think one of my favorite things is when I see... Family members of mine post those uh, memes that are like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that we didn't have, you know, smartphones when I was a kid so people couldn't catch me when we were doing stupid things as a kid. And then they go in and they do one of those things where, you know, you give up your name and your birthday to come up with your Star Wars name or something. Oh, yeah, that whole, like, Cambridge Analytica stuff where it's like, what do you mean they misused my data? What do you mean you
1: gave it up so fast? What do you mean you gave it up so you could figure out what your stripper name was? Listen, you are you are to blame in this.
0: listen, your stripper name is your first pet and the first street you lived on also works for your drag queen name Chesapeake pal Chesapeake pal yeah, I was a weird kid, yo there's there's no judgment. I was a really weird kid. So there's going to be some facts about George Orwell that I'm going to throw out here because evidently I feel like I have to. His name was not actually George Orwell. Gasp. Gasp. Eric Arthur Blair. His birthday is June 25th, 1903. I think, I don't remember what that is. That's not a Gemini, is it? That is a cancer. Is it a cancer? Oh, God. Um, I don't It is a cancer. He died January 21st, 1950. So we're about two days from that. Yeah. Well, not 1950, obviously. but He was uh born in British-controlled India. And mm-hmm. at one point in time, his mom was like, yeah, I think we've been here long enough. So when he was one, she took him and his sisters back to England. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he fought in the Spanish Civil War. He was actually shot through the neck and survived. Is he like a, is he like a chill socialist Hemingway? He's way less of a dick than Hemingway. A chill socialist Hemingway. Um, so he, when he was shot through the neck, his, you know, obviously common sense was, I'm going to die right now. Yeah. And then it missed all the major things in his neck, so he survived. Oh, fortunate. Yeah. Um, his grandparents were loaded. His family was not. Mm-hmm. He referred to himself as lower, upper, middle class. I know that feeling. He ended up going to Burma for a while, which is now, I believe, Myanmar. It is. Um, and he wanted to have because he felt like he needed to have some kind of power, so he basically became a cop. And then he went. Well, this sucks. Came mm-hmm. back to the UK. Ended up selling bacon and things from a farm alongside his wife. And then he joined the Spanish Civil War That it sounded like a good idea at the time. How do you go from selling bacon to joining this to going to fight the war? How? Skills? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> He was very much led by his sense of smell, so any time you read one of his works, it's going to mention all the different smells and the weirdness. Mm -hmm. So you'll get a ton of smell references in 1984. You'll get a lot of them when he's talking about being down and out in Paris. Mm -hmm. Um, He also had a history of lung conditions, which is probably why Winston is always coughing in 1984.
1: could be all the smog from the hellscape London.
0: That as well. Um, and Orwell's wife, Eileen, worked for the Ministry of Information during World War II, so he got to see her redact things as well. Propaganda. Propaganda! This is magic word. Now, we have a time-honored tradition now of, in which house do we sort George Orwell into? <sighs> that one's kind of hard, because he's got a lot of Gryffindor principles. I was going to say Ravenclaw. Mostly because I
1: don't want to add anyone to Gryffindor.
0: <laughs> Hi, we're both proud Slytherins. <laughs> like, hello. We're what? actually joking that we need to create a a chart, because Hemingway is straight Slytherin. He is. So, I, I happily accept him into my house. You can have him. Although he's kind of a dick. Which I feel bad, because I really hope his uh, granddaughter, great-granddaughter, never listens to this and goes, Why are you guys assholes? will. I will happily be called an asshole by him a great-granddaughter, ma'am. One of my friends actually just pointed out to me that Fitzgerald's great-granddaughter has a band, and she sent me a bunch of the links, and I haven't listened to them yet, so I really need to do that. Yeah, we need to do that. And then put it on the blog, because, yeah. like we do. Like we do. I'm thinking, yeah, Gryffindor Ravenclaw. Let's go with Ravenclaw. Because he's not dumb. He's definitely not dumb.
1: I love, you can tell that we're slow earth because we assume the Gryffindors are stupid.
0: Is this the part we're gonna to have to do hashtag Not all Gryffindors and then it's gonna get really awkward.
1: I don't give a hoot and a half, Victoria. <laughs> I don't give two hoots.
0: So we obviously sourced a few references here. We did. Um, Churchill and Orwell by Thomas e. Ricks is really good. Um, it's gonna give you a whole background on Winston Churchill as well. Be advised that the name Winston is not accidental in 1984. No, but Smith, Smith. It's a lower level job, so he's not hired. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks, John Green. I stole that from Crash Course (laughs) on YouTube by John Green, which is something else we watched. Yes. Also, um, I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia for this. I'm not going to lie. Usually I try not to use it as a primary source, but I was hurting. I was hurting hard.
1: Yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, watching Crash Course, and then I spent a lot of time also uh, watching Thug Notes.
0: I love Thug
1: Notes. (laughs) So, shout out to Crash Course and the Thug Notes
0: let's be friends with him can we be friends with him please can we be friends with john green too
1: john green i know that you're currently on a hiatus from social media uh but we would happily love to be your friend
0: yes yes please so our next book was intended to be a palette cleanser but now that i've started rereading it I'm, I'm hurting again uh charlotte bronte's jane Eyre.
1: come listen to amanda groan about how much she hates romance
0: I didn't remember all this much child abuse, but here we are. I remember exactly this much child abuse. I don't know what book you were reading. So if you want to be a part of our surveillance culture and follow us on social media, we're, <laughs> we're on Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately RR on Twitter, Unfortunately Required on Instagram, or you can email us at unfortunately com if you have a book you want to suggest, or a funny story about your English class, or Book you had to read that you know made you live a separate life. Um, also, we have a website now. We un- do. Unfortunately, required dot Yeah, send us your
1: fan art, uh, your alignments on authors. If you think that we've put any of them in the wrong house, though I do. W- though I will probably fight you on a few of them. So now, just go read a book. Yeah, just literally go read any other book. Um, at this stage, almost anything would be an Orwellian thought crime. Go enjoy your favorite thing. Scratch that boil that's been bothering you. Eat more chocolate than you're allowed to. Live in filthy,
0: disgusting excess as a giant F you to the party. Go eat the rest of this cheese plate yes. like it's nothing and don't worry about the initial or the end up backup. Nope. We love you. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for putting up with us. Thank you. And... I hope so. Oh God, no more of this book, no more. (laughs)